If you would like to take your Bible and turn to Proverbs chapter 1, if you got a bulletin, a worship guide as you came in, you can turn that over to the back and a couple of notes and some areas to write in some things if that's, if that's of help for you. Hopefully your Bible will begin to naturally fall open to the book of Proverbs or it'll be saved in your phone and you'll get there quickly because we're going to continue to, uh, to go to Proverbs and, and learn from God's Word, not just how to live a better life, which we talked about last week, that's not the purpose of Proverbs, it's how to know life, life found through Jesus Christ, the true wisdom of God. So we're going to begin to uh, uh, get further into that, and this morning we're going to be looking at the middle of chapter 1, continuing that, that process, though after hearing John and uh, Wayne earlier, I probably should have just canceled my sermon and let them talk the whole time. Nobody say amen to that, and uh, thank you for that. But uh, man, I, it, that guest card that's on the uh, seat back in front of you, if you're a guest and, and you would like to receive the notes uh, from what John and Wayne were talking about, we'll be sending that out this week through our email system. And so just put your email down there, put that in the offering plate at the end of the service, and we'll make sure you get worked in uh, to that to that email that will go out if that would be a ministry to you, a help to you. Quick reminder that this afternoon at four o'clock, we're having our Fall Fest for families and people of all ages, uh, but our Fall Fest Christmas style. We're calling it Deck the Fall. Uh, and so from four o'clock to six o'clock, there are going to be, uh, we're gonna have inflatable games. There'll be areas to hang out free food. It's a perfect opportunity if you have uh, friends, neighbors, coworkers, folks that this would be a good opportunity to introduce them to Emmaus or you just want to invite them to be a part of a fun family event. This will be happening from four o'clock to six o'clock. And if you just enjoy sitting in the heat while the wind blows 30 miles an hour, this will also be the event for you. So uh, middle of October, we weren't counting on 88 and a 25 mile an hour south wind. So, uh, but hey, it's Oklahoma, that's how, that's how those things go. Remember that as we go through the book of Proverbs, we're, we're reading a proverb a day corresponding to the calendar. So today, the 16th, we wanna read Proverbs 16. Tomorrow, the 17th, we wanna read Proverbs 17. Just work this into daily habits. Uh, sometimes people will say, I have a hard time reading the Bible every day. I just don't think about it. It's, it's not that I don't mean to, it's just that it's not a part of my life. One of the ways that you can work that into your life is by connecting that to another habit that you already have. And, and so for me, personally, it's breakfast. I'm pretty consistent on breakfast. Not everybody is a breakfast eater, but I don't function well if I don't eat breakfast. And so during breakfast, that's when I try to do my, my daily Bible reading. One of the things that Amanda and I have found with our kids is I've found, and this, this is not saying you have to do that. This is just my little bit of wisdom and something I've run into. When I'm around my kids, I've stopped reading my Bible off my phone. If it's just me, if I'm by myself, I access my Bible on my phone because it's, it's really convenient. I've always got it with me. We realized around our kids, they thought we were playing games or, or, or checking social media. And so they're like, mom, what are you doing on your phone? Well, I'm reading my Bible. Dad, what are you doing on your phone? I'm reading my Bible. And so in front of our kids, it sounds kind of silly to say this, but we've kind of gone back to using a paper Bible just so it's visible to them what, what we're doing. Uh, I, 
I love to access the Bible on my phone. I encourage you to do that. Uh, I just didn't realize what that was communicating to my kids. They thought I was playing a game or, or checking out social media. And so we've, we've done that. We just incorporate that with breakfast and it, it works well for us. So that's not nearly as good advice as John and Wayne gave, but that's my attempt to, to say something helpful to you this morning. All right, let's get started. Proverbs chapter 1, we're going to be reading verses 8 through 19 this morning. Proverbs 1, 8 through 19. And I'm reading this series of sermons out of the English Standard Version, so if it looks a little different in front of you, that'll be the reason. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching, For they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, let us lie in wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without reason. Like Sheol, let us swallow them alive and whole like those who go down to the pit. We shall find all precious goods. We shall fill our houses with plunder. Throw in your lot among us. We will all have one purse. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their paths, for their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed blood. For in vain is a net spread in the sight of any bird, but these men lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their own lives. Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of its possessors. Father, thank you for what it means that we gather together in corporate worship like this, uh, bringing all kinds of challenges with us into the room, all kinds of things going on in our lives, but just needing to be reminded of the good news of Jesus Christ, being reminded what it is to have our lives based on the word of God. Father, those who are here this morning who are really doubting, really struggling, really battling through a lot of things related to faith and religion, Father, I pray that as we see your word and how it speaks to us, God, that you would encourage their hearts, that they would know your love and your grace. And Father, that all of us this morning would be able to engage our our minds and our hearts in what you're wanting to say to us through your word. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So coming up in just a few days, uh, October 26th, Wednesday, uh, October 26th, 135 years ago, was the shootout at the OK Corral. Uh, Now the shootout at the OK Corral, I hate to burst your bubble, did not happen in Oklahoma. Uh, It was actually in Tombstone, Arizona. And the shootout at the OK Corral didn't happen at the OK Corral in Tombstone, Arizona. It actually happened a couple of blocks down the road. This uh, myth of the shootout at the OK Corral was perpetuated in a lot of movies, uh, one in, in the 50s especially that began to, to put this idea out there. So you have these movies that develop all the way up to the point of, uh, was it Kevin Costner that did the Wyatt Earp movie uh, back, in the, back in the 90s? You've got these movies, or not the 90s, I guess in the 2000s, but you've got these stories about the shootout at the OK Corral. The shootout at the OK Corral well, it's really this ongoing feud between the cowboys, which in this case are actually the bad guys in the story, these cowboys, uh, the Clantons, the McClory's. On the other side, you have the lawmen, who in this story are the Earps, Wyatt, Morgan, their brother Virgil Earp, who was the town marshal at the time, and their buddy Doc Holliday. So it all came to a head. These cowboys and lawmen are are developing this feud. And one night, Tuesday night, October 25th, 
this feud is starting to really boil over. And Ike Clanton and Doc Holliday are getting into essentially a drunken fight there in Tombstone, and it's really starting to boil over. So finally, Virgil Earp, the town marshal, steps in. He sends Doc Holliday away to go back and get some sleep and try to sleep off all this anger that he has. But Ike Clanton, one of the cowboys, and Virgil Earp, who is Wyatt's brother, and he's the town marshal at the time, they begin to play cards. And they play cards and drink, essentially, all night that night there in Tombstone. About dawn the next morning, Virgil, who's the town marshal, decides it's time to go to sleep because the sun's coming up. So he goes to sleep. But Ike Clanton goes out into the road and begins to cause trouble, begins to try to track down Doc Holliday because he wants to have, wants to have a fight. About nine o'clock in the morning, one of the policemen there uh, who helps out the town marshal comes to Virgil, wakes him up and says, you really need to come and address the situation. It's really going to end badly. It's boiling over. You've got to come and address the situation. Virgil says, ah, it's fine. It's not a big deal. He goes back to sleep. He wakes up a couple of hours later and realizes he misjudged the council that he received. This really is a big deal. And a couple of hours after that, you have this famous Wild West shootout. The results in four people dying, or really five people dying, becomes one of the most famous shootouts in, in the Wild West. We don't know exactly, but probably if Virgil Earp had woken up at nine o'clock like his policeman buddy advised him to and had gone out he would have been able to stop this feud before it boiled over and turned into the shootout. He didn't, he didn't listen to that counsel, and the result was the shootout at the OK Corral. Wisdom is about listening to the right people at the right times for the right reasons. Wisdom is knowing who I should listen to, when I should listen to them, and what I should do as a result of getting that counsel. Now, I don't care about the counsel you receive in a shootout uh, in Tombstone, Arizona, that that does matter. But what we're wanting to think about is what is that idea of wisdom related to listening? What does that have to say regarding the book of Proverbs? And what does it have to say to our lives? And you see there on the back of your bulletin, if you're looking at those notes, what you find in Proverbs chapter one is this distinction, this battle really, between godly generational wisdom and greedy gain wisdom. And if you're not looking at the notes, gain there is G-A-N-G, like the gain that you would be a part of. There's this contrast that happens in, in, in Proverbs chapter one. So here's how Proverbs chapter one is set up. It, it falls out really in three parts. The beginning of Proverbs one would be verses one through seven. It becomes this foundational introductory section of Proverbs. We talked about that last week and it ends with this fear of the Lord saying. Then, Following that, you get two speeches. You get the speech of the parents that happens from verse 8 to verse 19, which is what we're looking at this week. And embedded in that parent speech is this speech from these gain members. So you get this parent speech that goes from verse 8 to verse 19. And then from verse 20 through the end of the chapter, you get the speech from the lady wisdom. So Proverbs is introduction, speech from the parents, speech from Lady Wisdom. In the middle of that speech from the parents, though, is the speech that comes from these gain members that want to entice this person to go away from God's way and go another direction. 
So let me show you how this works in in the book of Proverbs. Go to verse eight, because that's where we're gonna pick up this speech from the parents. Verse eight, Proverbs chapter one, it says, hear my son your father's instruction and forsake not your mother's teaching. The word for hear or listen is one of the key words in the book of Proverbs. We saw it back in verse five. So if in your phone you scroll up or you're looking there in your Bible in verse five, it said let the wise hear. Being able to hear, being able to listen is one of the keys to wisdom in the book of Proverbs. Interestingly though, if you hear a speech in the Bible that begins with the word hear or listen, the people of Israel would have immediately probably gone back to the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter six, and and actually Wayne alluded to this passage earlier when he was talking, but in Deuteronomy chapter six it says, these are the commands the Lord your God directed me to teach you, Moses speaking to the people, so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God. There's that Proverbs 1-7 statement about fearing the Lord. So you're teaching your children to fear the Lord as long as you live. Hear Israel and be careful to obey. And then that famous verse, verse four, hear O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. What you listen to, who you listen to, is gonna make all the difference in whether or not you fear the Lord, whether or not you obey his ways, whether or not you walk the way that he's calling you to walk. And so in the book of Proverbs, in Proverbs 1-8, when they say, hear my son, this is grabbing on to that Old Testament tradition that goes back to Deuteronomy chapter six, that generation after generation were to speak God's word each generation after so that they can hear God's word and say, am I going to follow that? Am I going to go that direction? Notice that this reference in verse eight here is directed to my son. So it says, hear my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching. That reference to my son is a common reference in the book of Proverbs. I think it shows up something like 13 times in the first nine chapters, and so you can kind of trace out these references to my son, but it just doesn't mean it's only given to male children. It's not given in that way. It's given to say it's going to be passed generation after generation, so ladies as well as men. This is, this is a word directed there. And it's not even just given to biological children because in a general sense, as you read the Old Testament, Israel, God's people is called God's son. And so it's the idea that it's something is being passed down one generation after another, but it's embedded in this idea of a family relationship, that wisdom is meant to be passed down through a family generation after generation. But it doesn't only have to happen in the context of a family. So family is that, that core process that God's given us, but it's not the only way that it happens. And it says, here my son, your father's instruction and forsake not your mother's teaching. So the father is giving instruction and the mother is giving teaching. It's hard to make too precise of a distinction, the difference there. It's certainly showing the complementary role. It's showing the idea that a father and a mother are both investing in the kids. They're both involved. It's not just the father, just the mother, that both are to be involved. If there's any distinction there, The word for instruction with father is a word that has more to do with correction. And the word for teaching from the mother is actually the word Torah, 
which are those first five books of, of the Old Testament. So maybe it has a little bit more to do with that religious content, that religious teaching. And so I don't want to make too much of that distinction because we start to kind of get into the weeds at that point. But it seems like the father is the one doing the correcting, trying to corral things back in. And the mother is saying, here's some content. You need to go this direction. She's doing more of the hands-on direct teaching. I'm not saying it's always going to happen that way in every situation, but that seems to be what's being laid out right here. What's the purpose of that? Verse 9, don't forsake your mother's teaching, for they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. In other words, if you do this, if you listen to your father's correction, if you listen to your mother's teaching, the result is going to be good. You're going to have good rewards. So in verse 10, they come back and they say, my son if sinners entice you, do not consent. So what they're doing at this point, the parents are saying, follow our instruction, follow our teaching, the results are gonna be good. But if other people come along and try to entice you to go another direction, don't, don't go with them. And specifically, they say, if sinners entice you. Now, this is the first time in the book of Proverbs we've gotten the, we've gotten the term sinners. Earlier, it talked about fools, or it talked about those who were simple, those who were easily enticed. Here it's talking about sinners. Who are the sinners that are being talked about? Because understandably, a kid would say to their parents, who are you to call my friends a bunch of sinners? Now you may have called your kids' friends a bunch of sinners before, but you, we, we wanna be precise in how we're referring to this group of people. What does it say if sinners entice you? I think we get a couple of helps one is from the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 23. Um, let's see if I can find that verse really quick. Proverbs chapter 23, verse 17. It says, let not your heart envy sinners, but continue in the fear of the Lord all day. Proverbs 23, 17, let not your heart envy sinners, but continue in the fear of the Lord all day. What we start to see there is when the book of Proverbs talks about sinners, it's specifically talking about those who do not fear the Lord. And remember from Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7, fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You can't have wisdom if you don't fear the Lord. Those who don't fear the Lord are sinners. They're the ones who are not walking in the way of the Lord. The book of Psalms, which begins this section of wisdom literature, the book of Psalms talks about not standing in the way of sinners, not, not standing in a way that they're going to have influence over your life. Now, we have to think about something really quickly here because you might say, so you're telling me I should never be around anybody who's a sinner. You're telling me I have to cut myself off from all of my friends who don't love the Lord. Didn't Jesus, wasn't, wasn't he a friend of sinners? Yes, Jesus was a friend of sinners, but he didn't get his life advice from those who didn't fear the Lord. There's a distinction here. The New Testament, Paul has to clarify this in the book of 1 Corinthians. He has to come back to the people and say, I'm not telling you to cut yourself off from those who, who don't fear the Lord. I'm not telling you to completely cut yourself off from those who don't follow the Lord. What I'm telling you is those people should not shape your life. They should not determine the direction you're going to go. They shouldn't entice you to move away from the word of the Lord. So if sinners are enticing you, that's when we begin to pay attention. That's when we realize this is that moment that, that every kid kind of dreads 
where their parent speaks into their life and says, your friends are beginning to shape your life in a way that you don't see right now. And they're beginning to take you in a direction that you don't want to go. And as a kid, you understandably rebel against that and say, who are you to call my friends sinners? Who are you to say that my friends are taking me the wrong way? But what we don't realize is the shaping influence that happens there. So the parents are speaking into the kid's life here and says, my son, if sinners are enticing you, don't go that way, don't consent. Then verse 11 yeah, verse 11 says, if they say to you, so this is gonna begin to introduce this, this speech from these, this group of people that's trying to entice you away. If they say, come with us, so don't go with your parents. They're not cool anymore. Don't go that direction. Come with us. It's gonna be better if you come with us and don't go with them. If they say, come with us, let us lie in wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without reason. Like Sheol, let us swallow them alive and whole like those who go down to the pit. Now, this is a kind of a strange reference because things have spiraled out of control really quickly. We went from, there's a group of sinners that are trying to entice you to not follow your parents' godly wisdom to now you're trying to kill someone. And you're like, well, that's really going extreme. Like, why do we take such a huge jump right here? I think there's a couple of things going on. One, that phrasing there, in verse 11, let us lie in wait, let us ambush the innocent. You know what Bible story that reminds us of pretty quickly? Genesis chapter 37 and the story of Joseph being sold into slavery by his brothers. So Joseph's brothers are lying in wait to ambush him. They're lying there, he's seemingly innocent and they're going to come, and they want to kill him, but one of his brothers convinces them not to kill him, just to sell him into slavery, as if that's, you know, a lot, a lot better. But he's being ambushed, and so what's happening here in the book of Proverbs is it's tying back into the story about Joseph and his brothers and the development of, of the people of Israel. But there's also something else going on here. There's a relationship that we begin to find develop in verse 13, in verse 13, we go from this section about violence to we shall, all, we shall find all precious goods. We shall fill our houses with plunder. So what, these, what this gain of people is saying is if you will follow us, you're going to get wealthy. You're going to find precious goods and you're going to fill your houses with plunder. Now verse 13 here is meant to be a direct contrast to verse nine. So if you draw arrows in your Bible, draw an arrow from verse 13 back to verse nine. The reason is, in verse nine, if you followed the parents' instruction, if you followed the father's correction and the mother's teaching, the result of that was going to be a graceful garland and pendants for your neck. You were gonna receive these rewards because you had done what was right. In verse 13, if you followed this gain into violence, you're also going to get wealthy, but you're gonna get wealthy the wrong way. You're gonna find precious goods and fill your houses not with gifts, but with plunder, something you've taken in the wrong way. And here's the amazing thing about Proverbs 1. What has happened is the violence that shows up in verses 11 and 12 is shown to be the result of greed. They're not being violent just for the sake of being violent. They're being violent because their hearts are motivated by greed. And I want to see the, show you the connection in the book of James. James chapter 4. This is an amazing relationship between the book of Proverbs 
and a book of James in, New, in the New Testament, which is a New Testament example of wisdom literature. James chapter four. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire but do not have, so you kill. You covet but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. There's a relationship in the Bible between greed and then doing whatever it takes to get what you're greedy for, even to the point of violence. This is seen in Proverbs chapter one, and then James really begins to play it out in his book. Because you might be sitting there and think, you know what, I'm really not generally tempted to do violent harm to someone. That might be a temptation that we face, but generally it's probably not. I haven't recently been tempted to join the mob or to join a gang, though that might be a temptation that comes as well but I am tempted by greed. And what scripture is forcing me to realize is there's a relationship between those temptations of greed, of desiring something, and the fact that pretty soon we will do whatever it takes to satisfy that greed to the point of being led away from the way of the Lord. Then you get to verse 14, you start to see the results of this. Verse 14, this gain that's talking to the son says we're, we're gonna find uh, these precious goods, fill our houses with plunder, then verse 14, Throw in your lot among us, we will all have one purse. So what they're doing is they're appealing to the idea of community. They're saying, hey, if you'll come with us, your parents are gonna ruin your life, they're gonna kill all your joy, you don't wanna stick with them, come with us, throw in your lot among us. This is gain sociology 101. This is the idea that when people are brought into a gain, usually the reason they're brought in there is because they're looking for community, they're looking for identity, they're looking for a place that they really belong, that they fit in, they feel like they're accepted. And so these gang members say, hey, come with us, join our group, you'll fit in, you'll be somebody, and hey, by the way, you're probably gonna get rich as well. Except what the parents know is that it's going to be reward that's gonna cost you your life. It's never true community when you're brought into a community that says, I'm really in this for myself. It's the danger of being sucked into something that really is not able to offer what it promises. And so you have this appeal to community here in verse 14, but it's ultimately going to be a destructive community. So what happens in verse 15? In verse 15, they say, my son, do not walk in the way with them. So don't walk that way, walk this way. Hold back your foot from their paths for their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed blood. There's an interesting progression that happens here in these verses. Go back to verse 11 really quickly, if you want to. Verse 11, they're lying in wait, so they're just kind of sitting there. Verse 15, my son, do not walk in the way with them. Verse 16, their feet run to evil. Do you see the progression? One, they're just lying there. Two, they're walking. Three, they're running. What the Proverbs is saying here is what you don't realize is when you get in with the wrong people and listen to the wrong people, the results escalate really quickly. What was first just hanging out with someone then became walking with them. Now you're running with them, and it's very hard to stop when that momentum starts. This is why students, this is why adults, you could speak from your own life, when you get going the wrong way, it often starts slowly, but when it picks up momentum, it's very hard to turn and go back the other way because you're caught 
in this escalation. You're caught in the way that you begin to speed up the further you move away from the Lord. This is why it's so dangerous to say, I'm gonna live apart from the Lord, but one day when I'm married or have kids or life slows down, then I'm going to come back to the Lord. What we don't realize is the further we get away, the faster things move, and the faster we move away, and you get into this escalating speed of moving the wrong direction. Verse 17, you get the first true proverb here. Verse 17, for in vain is a net spread in the sight of any bird, but these men lie in wait for their own blood, and they set an ambush for their own lives. This is just a little proverb. Oftentimes the Proverbs will use animals or use creation to make points. As you begin to read through the book of Proverbs, you're gonna see this a lot. The ant shows up a lot in the book of Proverbs, but this idea of use, use animals to make a point. The point of this proverb is even a bird is not so dumb as to jump into a trap that it can see right in front of it. Except these men have set a trap and they're jumping into it, and worse yet, they're the ones who set the trap. They set the trap for themselves, and then they walked right in to their own trap, and now it's gonna cost them their life, because verse 19 says, such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. Here's that theme of greed coming back again. Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of its possessors. If you needed to write a title over the book of Proverbs, it's wisdom leads to life, foolishness leads to death. You're gonna see that over and over and over again as you read through Proverbs. If you live wisely, if you fear the Lord, seek to walk in his way, trust in him, it will lead to life. If we live apart from his way, if we walk our own way, if we're wise in our own eyes, if we don't fear the Lord, it's going to lead to death. It's gonna go one way or the other. Wisdom leads to life, foolishness leads to death. Okay, so that being the case with this section of Proverbs, what do we do th with this? How do, how do we kind of make application for this? The first is to realize the value of listening to the right people at the right time. The value of listening to wise counsel. Where do I find wise counsel? Well, the book of Proverbs gives us three sources for wise counsel. The first source of wise counsel, and I'm not sure exactly how I turn this, Parents and multiple generations. This is the idea that counsel, according to the book of Proverbs, comes through parents, comes through this idea of multiple generations. We all know from our own experience, and the kids and teenagers in the room could speak from their own experience, it's difficult to really appreciate the wisdom of your parents when you're in the throes of childhood and especially teenage young adult years. If you guys will hold on about 10 or 15 years, your parents will be amazingly cool and wise again. It's the most incredible transformation that, that begins to happen where in the moment you're like, oh my word, I just don't see this. Like they're trying to tell me, they're really trying to lead me the right direction. I don't sense it. I don't feel it, and worse yet, the preacher is trying to convince me that this is true, and this makes me hate it even more. But it is true. Like, you begin, it's so hard in the moment to appreciate godly, multi-generational wisdom. And yet, Scripture, over and over again, calls us back to listen to our parents, listen to the generations who have gone before. Now, quick caveat here. I, I know that that 
statement could, could really strike you in the wrong way, especially if you grew up in a situation where your parents did not fear the Lord, if you grew up in a situation where you were not treated well, where you were not loved unconditionally, and, and I realize there's some really difficult tension there, even still understanding parents and understanding generations as a gift from the Lord. And another thing you see in scripture are other people speaking into your life as parent figures. This is the idea, it's not bad enough that I have parents, it's bad enough that my parents' friends then become my parents, that they wanna tell me what to do, they wanna tell me what direction to go, but the value of being able to hear from other people, people speaking into your life from multiple generations. This is the idea that's happened recently, not just recently, it's always been there, but it's really come to the surface lately in youth ministry. The idea that the true youth ministers according to scripture, are, are the parents. They're the ones doing the work of youth ministry. They're the ones shaping kids. And so sometimes we've treated in church life the youth ministry as like, I'll hand my kids off to Jaron. He'll take care of them for six years, and then he'll hand them back to me. That would be nice. It's just that it's not designed to, to work that way. The church, the youth ministry, comes alongside, supports those parents, provides that parental influence if godly parents are not available, if they're not in the home, supports when godly parents are there. Just the idea that we wanna be in a situation where we're hearing from multiple generations. I need so badly to hear from John and Wayne. Those guys, wow, that turned out great, didn't it? Ha, John Wayne, that was awesome. Speaking of, uh, speaking of the shootout at the OK Corral, so, well, we totally run that moment. So uh, I need, I need to hear from my dad, who still speaks into my life. I need to see his wisdom. Equally so, we're gonna flip it around this time, I need to hear from Wayne and John and other men who are able to speak into my life. We need that sort of counsel. All right, the second, man, since that train went off the track. Second, the second source of godly counsel, godly friends. Scripture, especially the book of Proverbs, talks about the counsel of godly friends. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 24, a man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And then probably my favorite verse in the book of Proverbs about friendship, Proverbs 27, 6. If you need to memorize a verse about friendship, this is the one that I would give you. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. You don't need, I don't need to surround myself with a bunch of yes men who just tell me nice things, pat me on the back, and send me on my way. How good to have a friend who speaks the truth and love to you. How good to have someone who is humble and teachable and kind and who is for you, not against you, but's willing to come up and say, hey, the direction you're going right now in life, it's not the direction you need to be going. You're not fearing the Lord. You're not following wise counsel according to scripture. And you've got people in your life who are willing to speak in, who are willing to be that friend. Being able to find a good friend who's willing to do that, we realize is difficult because it involves trust, it involves vulnerability, but just the idea that we don't get sucked in this idea that I want a bunch of people that say nice things to me. We're like, no, I want someone who really speaks into my life, who really directs me in the way that I need to go. And Proverbs presents godly friends as one of those forms of, of counsel and the joy that is in our lives. Thirdly, Proverbs gives us a community of faith. 
This idea that we need to be a part of a church. A church, as you hear God's word, as you develop relationships, as you serve others, as you worship together, becomes a source of wisdom in your life. So multiple generations, parent figures, godly peers, godly friends, and a community of faith. If you have those things in your life, shaping your life, it will lead you to fear the Lord. It will lead you to walk in his way. It will lead you toward wisdom. So what are the reasons for having that counsel? We're gonna wrap up with these three. What are the reasons for having godly counsel in your life? The first is to avoid the trap of greed. We don't realize how easily we can walk into traps that we didn't see coming. Equally so, it's amazing how you can see those traps coming for somebody else a lot of times. A parent who speaks into your life and says, I know you don't want to hear this, but if you continue to go that direction, I can tell you what you're walking into. Or a friend or someone in church who can come up and say, hey, I know you don't see what's going on in your life right now. You don't see the direction you're going, but let me tell you where that path leads. Either because I've been there or I've seen others who have gone down that path. Let me tell you where that trap is going to come in. And one of the ways that trap comes in is it comes in through greed. We often don't sense greed in our own lives. We don't sense how those desires are overcoming us. Paul Coptic, who is a commentator on the book of Proverbs, he says that greed can be defined as desire that knows no bounds. Desire so strong that it does not care what is done to satisfy it or what harm it does to others. We tell ourselves and we live in a world where if it feels good, you're gonna do it. If it feels right, if I desire this, I'm going to go that direction. And it is hard to battle those desires. It's frankly almost impossible to battle those desires on your own. What you need are other people speaking into your life and saying, hey, I see that desire. And it may not even be a bad desire. It might be a pretty good desire, but I see where it's leading you. And it's beginning to take over your life. And I want you to know that you're walking into a trap. And I care enough for you to say, don't go that direction. So the second thing that comes after avoiding the trap of evil is being able to hear the truth spoken in love. Hear the truth spoken in love. When someone speaks into our lives, being willing to hear that. Not to close our ears. Uh, You know, as a parent, you speak to your kids and you feel like that metaphorically they're holding their hands over their ears as, as you're speaking to them. Or maybe physically, they're really just literally holding their hands over their ears as, as you speak to them. It's hard to hear someone speaking the truth into our lives, speaking the truth in love. We have to be able to do that. A spouse who is faithful, who loves you, who cares for you in your hard times, but who's willing to speak into your life because they love you. A friend who sticks with you, who doesn't just say yes all the time, who really cares that you follow the way of the Lord. A church family that's not perfect, but who loves and cares for you and is involved in your spiritual growth. That's why the last thing on your notes is that when we hear godly counsel, it allows us to live fully on God's mission. I wanna show you one verse as, as we wrap up here. Look at Proverbs chapter one, verse 19. It was the very last verse in that section that we read. Proverbs 1, 19. So there's this progress, this progression that these parents are trying to speak into this, this man's life. Proverbs 19. Such are the way, chap, Proverbs chapter one, verse 19. Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain 
it takes away the life of its possessors. Don't miss the phrasing there. It takes away the life of its possessors. Greed, sin, will enslave us. Scripture speaks of this over and over and over through the New Testament. Sin is enslaving. It captures us. And ultimately, it leads to death. But here's the good news. Here's the good news. Jesus Christ has set us free from that captivity. He has set us free from that sin. I don't want you to leave this morning and say, Owen said that we should listen to wise counsel. I did say that, and and I want to value that. More than anything, though, I want you to hear as you leave this morning that Jesus Christ has set you free from the captivity of sin, that sin that is enslaving, that sin that will take away our lives, that greed that overwhelms us, that leads us in the wrong way. Christ has set us free from that so that we can live fully on his mission through the church, so that we can be the people that he's saved us and created us to be. And one of the ways we do that is when we live in council, when we live in community with one another. Would you bow your heads with me as we get ready to wrap up? As we come to a time of response this morning, I want you to think about your life, about maybe what season of life you're in, what stage of life you're in. Who is the godly counsel that you have around you speaking into your life? You may not have parents right now in your life who are able to do that, but but who is around you? Friends, other parents, those from an older generation? Who in this church is speaking into your life? Thank God for that godly counsel. And then think about your life as well with this idea of greed. Father, what, what am I greedy for? What do I desire? What am I justifying by saying, hey, it feels right, it feels good, it's gonna be okay. What am I greedy for that's overtaking my life that I don't realize I'm walking into that trap? God, would you set us free from those traps? Would you set us free from those things that take us away from your way, that take us away from the life that you've created us to have. Here in just a moment, as the band plays and and, and David scenes behind us, I wanna give you an opportunity. I know this is out of the box. I know it's a little bit different, but just hear me out as your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed. As the band is playing, if you're in here and your parents are accessible to you or parents, if your kids are in a place that you can get to them, or if you have a good friend who's sitting around you, I wanna ask you to get together and pray with them. Parents praying with kids, friends praying with one another, grandkids with grandparents, just gathering around. If you don't have anyone in the room right now who fits that bill for you, you can stay right where you are, continuing to sing, continuing to pray. There'll be people around you who care for you. We'll be down here at the front as well if you need a minister to pray for you. We just wanna use this time to respond to God's work in our life. Father, thank you for your goodness. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.